It's Friday, and you've reached the Kelly Winland Podcast. On today's podcast, we talk with Sean O'Neill, Vice President of Technology at Optum Health Group. Coming up next. But if you just accept your Lord and Savior, it won't matter in a way. One, we are live with Sean O'Neill from Optum United Health Group. How are you this afternoon, Sean? You know, doing well, Kelly. Looking forward to checking in with you again. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to you. I was, uh, you and I, before we started recording, I was explaining that for whatever reason, the technology I use, if I'm running other applications, Adobe seems to be primary contributor to problems I have with with this Zencaster is the name of the podcast and videocast software I use. For some reason, Zencaster and Adobe do not like each other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always <laughs> <laughs> there's a in a world of scarce resources, uh teleconferencing is one of those that probably is the most susceptible to CPU, network, bandwidth, anything that will just chew up the way. Yeah, well, you're you're a innovation and technology person at at your core, right? So you you deal with these things on a daily basis, figuring out how to how to get things to play nice together. Or are you more you come up with the the newest, uh, latest, and greatest, and hand it off to the QA folks? Well, actually, I think for most of my career, and I, I think the areas that I've been most well known for are in that high availability, performance, scalability. And so I think I think it's always on top of mind. Like, how can I make this run better? How can I make it perform better? I think it comes back from years and years of when I was a teenager making motorcycles and old crappy cars go fast. So <laughs> it's all the so same you, to me. You know what I think, Sean? I think that's somewhat unique for someone who's into innovative technology to have that mindset of you along with the coolest, latest and greatest and in, in creating new ways to serve customers of the company, actually making sure that it works because that's a tough, that's a tough gap to, to cross sometimes as new technology within actually making the stuff work. Oh yeah. And work. Yeah. I was going to say, and work when the, when the uh, sun isn't shining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People think of of insurance, uh, you know, they used to think of insurance, health insurance as claims adjudication. I guess that's probably what, 10, 15, 20 years ago now? Yeah. It, is, is that still the heart of what you work on in your day-to-day world is how do we how do we get claims as efficiently processed as possible? Or or is there something else that the company focuses on? Well, it, I mean, that's still the bread and butter. And I feel that there, there's even a, a few things in the news, you know, uh, recently with, you know, our acquisition of Change Healthcare, which is one of the larger clearinghouses. That's kind of where claim has been going. Uh, and, and you can see with that acquisition as being a really indicator of, of kind of that, the recent 
um, state of the art, which is, you know, bigger and bigger and more consolidated and centralized, you know, claims processing. The, and then that just becomes like a commodity in, in some respects where your table stakes are, you know, pay the claim and pay it quick or, or, or maybe not pay, I should say, you know, adjudicate the claim. Where I feel the industry is going in, in more interesting ways to me is going towards accountable care, which are these shared risk models where it's not just about fee for service. And that, that fee for service is that claim world that I think most people are familiar with because it's just like any other insurance product, right? It's your car insurance. You pay your premium, you get in an accident, it gets fixed, you know, if, 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 but it gets fixed. And, and we're all used to it from a health insurance perspective of, you know, I got sick, I go to the doctor, you know, and then I, I get treatment and I might have a copay or something like that. Now, on the other side of the equation is the, the physician or, or, you know, broader, we call them providers, those healthcare providers who just get paid anytime someone gets sick. And so you can imagine with the, that that could create a, you know, misaligned incentive, shall we say, where, you know, the more procedures that are done or the more expensive the procedures that are done or the, the more higher margin procedures, that those providers are going to be incentivized to go that direction. And so that is, that is how we have been doing insurance historically. And that, that isn't tenable. It just really isn't. So that, that's where some of these shared risk models that are becoming more um, common. The other word for it is accountable care, where the provider network has some accountability to delivering optimal outcomes versus just getting paid for when they take care of you when you're sick. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of where I see things going. Huh. How, how do you, how do you measure the outcome in something like healthcare? I mean, if you have the flu, I get, you know, yeah, are you better in two weeks? But for many other things that are chronic, is it, is it, you know, they're not, they're, people are avoiding the emergency room because they're maintaining their, their medication or they're the right medications or how, how does that play into longer term kind of illnesses for, you know, how, how, how do you end up measuring some of that stuff? Is that data all being gathered right now and still being figured out how to best measure it? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. And it is, it is evolving the, because there's two different ways to measure it. And you can measure health uh, as kind of <laughs> maybe on the negative side, where from a, a provider perspective, let's say that they're going to get dinged you know, if they do things that are, are bad, let's say that. And so one really easy example would be hospital acquired infections. Unfortunately, the, the reality, statistically speaking, one of the most dangerous places on earth is a hospital. Well, I mean, obviously people that are there are people that are already sick, right? So your, your statistical set is a little bit skewed. Uh, you know, but that being said, if you're in a hospital, you have the ability, you know, the possibility that you're going to acquire other infections. 
you're also going to acquire other conditions if you're, you know, in a hospital bed and not moving around. And so there's a few measures that are linked directly to that. Uh, you know, are you, um, if a hospital plan, or I, I'm sorry, if a provider, you know, has a high rate of hospital uh, infections, they're going to get dinged in their quality measures. Another one would be, you know, readmissions. So if you're admitted for something and you get discharged, and then within a cert certain period of time, you're, you know, readmitted for that same problem, then boom, you get another ding. And so these quality measures and, and the most common one are something called HEDIS scores, which um, I even had to quit Google that HEDIS health effectiveness data and information set. But everyone calls them a HEDIS. These are, these are you know, published and maintained by the U.S. government uh, as these quality scores that keep track of both sides of the ledger. ledger. On the one hand, you know, things that the provider does that would be bad, like, you know, readmissions, hospital, you know, you know, acquired infections. On the other hand, they'll have something we'll call gaps in care, that if you identify a gap in care and then you close it, you can get credits. Like literally, you can get HEDIS credits over on the other side to say, hey, if you, you know, what I'm working on right now is colorectal screening. So if within a 10-year period, and I'm going off the top of my head, so I think people listening to this can, can tell me where I'm wrong later, but off the top of my head, there is a HEDA score you know, for males after of a certain age, and I think it's for me, females, it's a different age, uh, to say, have you had a colorectal screening you know, within the last 10 years? And so if, if the provider does that, they can get credit uh, to say that they have you know, closed that gap, you know, so that's, that's at a really high level where they are. And, and we can dig into, you know, either side of that a little bit deeper, but I wanted to pause. Is this making sense? Yeah. You know, and it does. And I've read somewhere along the line that uh, the best outcomes for hospital stays are people who stay less than, I think it's two days or something. And so that's one reason just based on data, uh, that simple measure of, you know, how long is a person in the hospital and how well do they do once they get out? It, people tend to do better if they are just in for a couple of days. And so it's, you know, you, in most of our personal experiences, you know, we see how hospitals are now trying to get people out the door after a couple of days, if at all possible. And I think it's tied to that. They they know that generally people are going to do much better if they can treat them, triage them at the at the hospital and then get them back home. So that that all makes sense. What what cool new technology do you do you does the company does Optum use um, that you're excited about for for helping patients? Is there something Optum's doing, you know, related to genomics or related to you know how you're using data that that you say, well, this is a really cool thing and it it really can impact individual patients and the care they get. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. So I think on the data side, there's a few things that maybe if I, if I move through them quick, it would give people a flavor of, from a uh, health technology perspective, things that I'm super excited in. You know, on machine learning and analytics, you know, it's getting a lot of attention, I would say, in the, in, in the press, both popular press and the industry press. 
are how can we use the mountains of health data that we're collecting to create powerful predictive tools that can identify things like undiagnosed uh, disease or misdiagnosed disease. And if there is a disease, what is the likely progression of that disease with, of of course, the, the, the understanding that if you can detect where someone is going, you can intervene in a way that is going to change that trajectory. And all of these come down to good old fashioned machine learning or deep learning, you know, based on what approach you're using, where if you have a training data set of a whole bunch of people that have diabetes, right? Let's we'll use that one as a, a great example. You can train an image recognition uh, algorithm, just like a Google, you know, uh, has the the image recognizing algorithms that can tell me whether or not I have a 1954, a picture of a 1954 Vincent Black Shadow, one of my favorite motorcycles versus a Kawasaki, right? You know, it's been trained on tons and tons of photos and can recognize the pattern very accurately of a 54 Vincent Black Shadow. The same way Optum and other companies can train algorithms to say, well, I want to be able to recognize the pattern that is exhibited in the claim data, exhibited in the EMR data of someone that has diabetes. And then we can apply that algorithm to a individual or a, a whole pile of individuals in a population and say, okay, algorithm, you tell me which ones have diabetes. And it's actually pretty straightforward that it can come back and say, okay, here are all the people with diabetes. And then we can look at which ones have truly been diagnosed with diabetes and say, yeah, that's a true positive. You know, and other ones will say, well, look at that. These are people that have been inferred, and that's the word that we use, inferred to have a high likelihood of diabetes. And we can reach out to those people and then do something definitive you know, like an A1C test, which is a type of blood test and say, all right, do you truly have diabetes? And if they do have diabetes and it was unmanaged, then that, you know, getting back to my HEDIS conversation, that is a gap in care that the CMS can give you credits for closing to say, look at that. We identified someone that truly had diabetes. Now that they know it, we can get them in a treatment program and get that under control. And that's, and we can do that literally with any disease where we have significant enough data that we can partition in such a way that be able to partition ones that have it, ones that don't have it, and then do some training. Now, the, the, the challenge though, and even just a segue for just a second into bias in AI is it gets really tricky, right? When, when you got to look at your data set and say, do I have a diverse an inclusive data set that I'm training on, because if I don't, I could be making something that is going to mischaracterize people. Um, and unfortunately, that mischaracterization is all too often uh, happens with, with populations that have been historically underrepresented. So um, probably a topic for a whole nother day, uh, but that is something um, that, that I think across the board, both at Optum and then other companies that are doing a lot with AI and machine learning, they're, they're doing that in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, obviously image um, recognition, we can do that stuff with radiology and pathology. You know, where 
if I can have enough CT scans that that have lung cancer, you know, nodules, we can train something that is going to be even more effective and fast and accurate than a human. That that can then identify, you know, lung cancer nodules. So yeah, very, very excited about that. Yeah, that's cool. As, as yeah, far that's as how we cool. can take the data and really, you know, help people live healthier lives. Yeah, that's that's great. And with those subsets of underserved populations, uh, I'm I'm guessing you and your teams are working on identifying those those sets of data, those people, and and making sure that as much as possible you're identifying them and then getting them into the data sets so that the training algorithm can start to acknowledge it and and move the inf- end information in the in the right direction so that it gets representative of all all the people that need the the right kind of care and you know diagnostics that come up, come from that data yeah so, exactly yeah that's awesome so last question for you are you a believer as a leader in the technology or in the people that you have around you? Do you think it's, do you think technology is more impactful right in today's world in your world? Or is, is it the people, are the people still more impactful in, in getting results for Optiman for, you know, United health group and for, you know, and for ultimately for patients. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my answer is probably is not going to be the one that, that, that one would guess. It, it is a people. I am continually disappointed in in the delivery of technology writ large. I see, I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. So when I look at what we could be doing with technology, with AI, with with sensors, uh, with cheap uh, electronics that are built in your cell phone, I mean it's. It boggles my mind. I literally could sit here and talk for eight hours on new and emerging tech. That is not, <laughs> it's not getting deployed because, because the flip side of it, where I do see meaningful work being done, it is in the tireless and relentless drive of, you know, skilled and compassionate you know, individuals that are making a difference and doing the yeoman work of taking these new technologies and dragging them over the finish line. And so, so I, I, I look at Optum and I look around, you know, where, where, where we're at and I just, you know, seeing us, you know, me, myself, you know, surrounded by people that have just dedicated their entire lives, regardless of compensation or hours worked in a week uh, to, to really, you know, try to make a difference in an individual's life, try to make a difference in the, in the healthcare system. Um, and because of that, because I know that when people care and when they put their minds to it and work together as a group, they can make, get these new technologies into practice. I know that all of these newer technologies that I'm really excited about and I see that are unfortunately still kind of sitting on in the wings, one day they will be, uh, you know, making the difference that they could, that the promise will come to fruition um, if we all work together. And that's, that's my absolute strongest belief. Well, that answer gives me a lot of hope for humanity uh, 
because I certainly uh, believe that people are are ultimately what it's all about, and it sounds like you do too. And so that's that's great, uh, Sean O'Neill. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, for everybody else listening, you are listening to the Kelly Wenland podcast. Thank you very much. This is great, Kelly. Talk to you again hey, soon. Always great to talk to you, Sean. Have a good rest of your day. But if you just accept